Well, thank you, Strings, for uh, blessing the space. Good morning, friends. Welcome to our uh, 11 o'clock service on this, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. It's good to be together in God's house. Welcome to those of you in the room, the many more we know who are joining us online. Uh, it's good to worship God together. I, I look around, quite a number of you are visiting with us. We are really honored that you have come. We hope you come back. We hope you also leave us some contact information so we can reach out to you this week. Uh, hopefully we begin to befriend one another. Uh, that'd be wonderful. We'd really uh, be blessed by that. Uh, my name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Want to make sure you take a look at the inside of your bulletin. We have lots of things going on in the life of the church right now. I really want to highlight for you that we have a faith ministries trip um, with our missions department coming up in November. Um, and we'd love to have you go. If you've never experienced that, I promise that it will be transformational for you. Also want to highlight that women's retreat registration is opening. Um, the retreat is in February, the 9th through the 11th, but it's early, yes, we know, but we want you to come. So please um, check out for more information in the bulletin or on our website. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us continue on in worship.
Family of God, let us now join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed as printed in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We know that God is rich in mercy and overwhelming in God's grace. So now we can come together to confess our sins before God and before one another, knowing that God indeed will forgive. So please join me in the prayer of confession as printed in your bulletin. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
The Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself any graven image. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your, your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Now when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to prove you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Matthew chapter 22, beginning with the 35th verse. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rose, for that uh, reading. Um, it's kind of interesting when I think about the commandments. I'm, um, well, parenthetically, um, uh, Rufus Dalton is here today, and today's his 99th birthday. Like, that's just like. <laughs> that uh, fact reminded me of something about the commandments uh, years ago. Uh, as a pastor, uh, somebody called me and said, Miss Sally is turning 100. Tomorrow she'd like you to come visit. I'd never been with somebody on their 100th birthday, so I went to see Miss Sally. And she was a character. And uh, so I'm talking to her. She's in this rocking chair. We're chatting. And uh, after a few minutes, she, le she leans dangerously back in this rocking chair and reaches in this little cabinet and pulls out a bottle of vodka and takes a long drag from it, put it back. We talk further, she does it again. Third time, she pulls it out, she takes a drag, and then she says, I am being so rude, do you want some? <laughs> I said, Miss Al, I'm at, I'm, I'm at work, I'm at work. She said, uh, in the course of that conversation, do you know what my favorite part of the Bible is? I said, what, Miss Al? She said, the commandments. We'd be a mess without the commandments. <laughs> it was great, the commandments. One of my seminary realizations uh, that was wonderful uh, is a favor that came to me from Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer in the 16th century. What Luther, Luther preached a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. 
And what he said in it is, is we're wrong to think of a finger-wagging God saying, you better do these things and you better not do these other things. Instead, what we need to realize is hidden inside every one of the commandments, like tucked inside there, there's a gospel promise. Inside every commandment, there's mercy, there's grace. The way that works is you shall have no other gods. The mercy in it is God says, well, you, you don't need to have any other gods. The thing that the world promises you that will deliver, they just can't deliver. And they'll break your heart. It may be your political ideology that you think will carry the day. It may be, who knows what, money, whatever your God is, please be released from those gods. You can trust me to be your God. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The, the hidden promise, the gift is you... you you, you can rest. You can rest. Not everything depends on you and your feverish activity. God's got the world well in hand. You can rest for a day. Uh, it says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, what this really means is, like, don't talk about other people in unkind ways. That's a good rule. And what it is is we want to be freed from that because when you do that, you're the one that just winds up knotted up, right? I, I think about the... What I've always learned is the Dietrich Bonhoeffer rule. Uh, Bonhoeffer said to his students, his parishioners, uh, really anybody who would listen, that the rule is don't talk about somebody who's not in the room. I, James Howell, have the James Howell improvement upon the Dietrich Bonhoeffer rule, <laughs> which is don't talk about somebody who's not in the room unless you are praising them. Because if you do this, you'll be freed from so much. See, that there's uh, gospel in it. Uh, the commandments say, uh, thou shalt not covet. God's mercy says, you don't have to covet. If you compare yourself always to other people, what you see on Facebook, what they have, how happy they seem to be, it'll just eat you alive. You don't have to covet. You're enough. You're enough. You have enough. Uh, politicizing the Ten Commandments, this happens a lot. Periodically, we have these spasms where uh, people want to post Ten Commandments in public places, you know, big stones uh, in city squares and so on. And I don't fault anyone for wanting uh, to do that. What I would question would be the effectiveness of this. You put up a stone in the city square, it's got the Ten Commandments. Somebody gets up and they're so mad at another person, they're going to go shoot them. But they drive by that building and they stop and they say, Whoop, thou shalt not kill oh, I didn't know, and they go home. I, I don't think that happens. Or somebody's about to slip off and have an extramarital affair, but they're driving by the courthouse. You go, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, yeah, go back home. I just don't think that happens. What we do instead, don't we, is, is uh, God had Moses write those commandments on stones, and we take those stones and we make them like rocks that we can throw at people or stones under which we can bury other people. Instead of using it as sort of a self-corrective, we use those commandments to judge other people. I suspect that if God had thought through, you always hate to question God, but if God had thought through that we would take those stone commandments and turn them into rocks to throw at each other, God would have written the commandments, God would have knitted them into a soft blanket so that we might be more gentle with others. Hmm? If God had... No <clears throat> Here's something that's not in my sermon, but I've told it three other times uh, today. That probably makes you nervous, <clears throat> thinking he's not really prepared. 
I am, but let me insert this. Well, actually, two things I want to insert. One is this. Uh, last night, I drove to Columbia, South Carolina to my high school reunion. I wasn't going to go. It was like a busy week, and I hadn't gotten registered by the absolute deadline. You must get your money in by a certain time. So I wasn't going, but somebody reached out to me in the morning, and then I think she called some other people. They kept nagging me, shaming me all day. you got to come. I still wasn't coming until the head of the event calls me. And she says, James, you have got to come. I said, why have I got to come? She said, you're the only person in our class who can pray over dinner. <laughs> I mean, what? I got there, a bunch of old people. Goodness. <laughs> shy. The other thing that I meant to say that's not in my notes is... Um, I'm having a conversation here in eight days uh, in Jubilee Hall, hope you'll come, uh, with a guy named Mark Holland. Mark's the head of what's called Mainstream UMC, and we're going to talk about what's going on in our denomination. You may have gotten whiffs of this, churches that are leaving the denomination. I've heard so much heartbreak from so many people here saying, my home church where I was baptized, where I was married, like, they've, they've left the church. It's just such a painful thing. Good friends of mine have, have left the church. So we're going to talk about that and what's going to unfold soon with our conference and so on. I, I do, I've hazarded this observation before, and I, I still think it's right. I, those churches that are leaving, uh, I wish them well. I hope they are blessed. I hope they can bless other people. But in my heart, I feel like they've made a big category mistake. That is that they believe the church's job is to be the moral police. Like, our job is to tell what's right and wrong for you people that are out there. Uh, what does the Bible say? You, you shall love your neighbor, not you shall judge your neighbor. And, and the weird thing, though, about passing, being the moral police for people that are out there, the people out there don't care what the church has to say. The people who are out there aren't coming to the church saying, please tell us what is right and wrong, and whatever you say, we will do. People who are outside the church instead look at the church, and they've sized us up as being cold and judgmental, and they don't want to have anything to do with the church. And we're not going to be that kind of church. We're going to be the kind of church, I've told you this before, I still love it. Uh, we saw, I saw a documentary a while back uh, called Finding Harmony, best thing I've seen on TV in several years, and it's about this uh, choir director. Choir directors are always wonderful people and uh, saving the world. So this guy named David Brown, he goes to Springfield, Ohio, and he tacks up signs all over town and says, come and sing with us Thursday night at 7. All kinds of people show up to sing. And you got old people, young people, white people, black people, conservative people, liberal people, straight people, gay people, confused people. <laughs> and they come together and they just have such a good time singing together. And then he leaves spot for like you can tell your neighbor your story. And they've sung together, so they tell each other stories and they're talking to people they would never have talked to before. And by the end of the practices and they have the big concert, everybody's hugging everybody and they didn't like each other before he came to town and said, come sing with us. Like, that's the church, right? We say, come sing with us. Come tell us your story. Come discover the grace of God. We need to know about the grace of God because uh, when we take God's commandments and turn them into rocks, uh, very often uh, who we throw the rocks at, uh, that would be ourselves. Um, I've had people, when I've told this earlier today, who've nodded. Uh, for some of us, our harshest criticism is reserved for ourselves. 
some of us are so hard on ourselves. Sometimes people come to me, they want to criticize my work in ministry. I say, I'm way better at criticizing me than you could ever, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> so, and, and, but, but you see, what we've done is we've severed the commandments from the author of the commandments. The author of the commandments isn't this legislator sitting behind the judge's bench. The author of the commandments is the God that just rescued slaves from bondage. It is the God who has an unfailing love for all of us, whose mercy is limitless. It is the God who is the lover of our soul. It is the God who created this beautiful world and all the wonders in it. It's that God who says to you, you are mine. You, you, you don't condemn, don't throw rocks at your self. Zora Neale Hurston wrote these words. I read them too a few years ago, but I love to repeat them. Moses lifted the freshly chiseled tablets of stone in his hands and gazed down the mountain to where Israel waited. He knew a great exultation. Now men could be free. They had something of the essence of divinity. They had the chart and compass of behavior. They need not stumble into blind ways and injure themselves. This was bigger than Israel. It comprehended the whole world. Israel could be a haven for all men forever by these sacred stones. And then I love this. With flakes of light still clinging to his face, Moses turned to where Joshua waited for him and said, Joshua, I have laws. Now Israel can know peace and justice. <laughs> like, I love that. We have laws. Jesus didn't come to shred the laws. Jesus came to fulfill the laws, to bore into the heart of the laws. For instance, there's the law that you shall not kill. I bet... I bet there's no one in this room, you never know, but I bet there's no one in this room who's actually murdered someone. Uh, Jesus says, the thing is, if you've even harbored anger in your heart towards someone else, it's the same thing. It's not that Jesus is saying, bad, bad, you have anger in your heart. Jesus wants us to be liberated from anger in our heart and to be filled with the grace of God. Instead, you get eaten up with anger. You look at somebody else's political ideology and think, you know, what a doofus that person is. Or you're in traffic scary driving around Charlotte, and you, you just get eaten up with anger. It may be somebody that you really love that you're just having a tough time with, and, and, and Jesus says you can be liberated from that anger. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of all those commandments? He says, it's love God, love your neighbor. That's what all the commandments are about, how to love God, how to love your neighbor. I'll close with this, a little reflection on coveting. Thou shalt not covet. Thomas Merton wrote this. When you accept what you have, you see all that you have received is more than enough, and you are overwhelmed. Like, I love that. When you accept what you have, you see that all you have received is more than enough, and you are overwhelmed. He calls that contentment. It's sneaky, though, isn't it, right? Because you can say, Look at all I have. I have a fabulous home. I have another place at Kiowa. I have a house in the mountains. I have fine wine in my wine cellar. I have received more than enough. I can be content. Or you fall into the fool's logic of, if I just work three more years and just get that one more thing, then I can be content. Merton's trying to say that we should be content with like better things than that, like the breath that you just drew. A miracle. <laughs> The fact that somebody loved you, somebody overlooked some stupid thing that you did, somebody gave you a chance, somebody walked with you during a dark day, God has infinite mercy 
on you. You have the privilege of being part of something way bigger than just yourself. God's goodness. So the way I'm reframing the coveting thing now is this. Instead of wanting what my neighbor has, I should want good for my neighbor. That seems obvious, but let me say it again. Instead of wanting what my neighbor has, I want what is good for my neighbor. <laughs> and that sounds good, right? Because, I mean, I think about it, like uh, I have a neighbor who's out of the country right now, and I am loving my neighbor. And the way I'm doing it is I pick up his mail every day. I don't fail. Last night it came after dark. I had to pick it up after my high school reunion, but I got his mail. I am loving my neighbor. I'm going to get it all collected. Lisa will provide me with a cute little gift bag. I'll probably drop a candy bar in there, and I'll take him his mail. I am loving my neighbor. And that'd be fine, except Jesus has to nose his way into it. Like you wish he'd leave us alone sometimes, but no. Jesus horns in, and Jesus says, who's your neighbor? It's not this guy next door that you enjoy getting his mail, and he'll probably get yours when you're out of town. Jesus says your neighbor tells that Samaritan story, right? Your neighbor's the person that you don't really like, that you don't really understand, that you never really hang around with, that you might actually find fault with, that that is the person who is your neighbor. <laughs> and Jesus says that you need to love them. So I tried this week to jot down examples of when somebody loves their neighbor. Let me just share a few with you. One, in 2006, a man named Charles Roberts in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, entered an Amish community and opened fire with a gun on little children, shot 10 of them, killed five, and then he turned the gun on himself. The parents of the children went to Charles Roberts' parents and said, we forgive your son. I have people tell me, I couldn't do that. Jesus says, love your neighbor. We have a member of our church <clears throat> named Diane Collar. Diane and Glenn are traveling in Europe right now. Glenn's usually in the choir. Uh, they had a son who was brutally murdered a few years back. And Diane is deeply steeped in scripture and theology, and she knew she had to find a way to forgive her son's killer, but she just couldn't. But after a long, long time, she finally forgave, and she met the killer in jail and befriended him. Uh, Ted Lasso. I've discovered, by the way, uh, that if I mention Ted Lasso, the grades I get on my sermon, I gain a letter grade just from saying Ted Lasso. I told the story last week about um, Sam, the great player uh, for Richmond. He owns this restaurant, and in some real ethnic hate, it's vandalized. He wants to give up, but his father, Ola, comes and says, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. This week, I finished uh, Joe Posnanski's uh, brand new book about baseball. Joe Posnanski is the greatest writer on the planet about baseball, and I discovered the other day he lives in Charlotte. Like, He's got to go get a hot dog with me. I mean, this is amazing. So in the book, he tells all these great stories, but the one to think about today is the story of Armando Galarraga. And Armando Galarraga was a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. And one day, he was pitching really well. He was one out away from a perfect game. If you don't know what a perfect game is, that's when the whole game goes by. Nobody's walked. Nobody gets a hit. There are no errors. Nobody gets on base. 27 up, 27 down. He's mowed down 26 of them, and the last guy's up. He hits a little ground ball. They field it. They throw it to first. He's clearly out, and the game is perfect. But instead, the, uh, the umpire, Jim Joyce, inexplicably says, safe. 
I saw the replay. I was enraged. The players on the field were enraged. The announcers were enraged. Everybody was enraged, well, except for Armando Galarraga, who was standing on the pitcher's mound, smiling, asking for the ball so he could get the next guy out. Game ended. Jim Joyce goes back. They show him a replay. Clearly, the guy was out. How, how it he said? Safe. He calls the commissioner of baseball. Can we get this overturned? But this is before instant replay. They said, no, we can't overturn it. The umpires call us. Joyce is reduced to tears. Somebody tells Armando this, and he says, I've got to go talk to him. And he talks to him and says, it's okay. He says, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. He met at home plate the next day. Armando put his arm around him. They interviewed him a little while later. He said, why weren't you angry at Jim Joyce? And Armando said, well, if I were angry, then I wouldn't be happy. If I were angry, then I wouldn't be happy. One of the great things of being part of a church is you have neighbors beyond just the person next door that you get their mail when they're out of town. We have neighbors in other countries and in all kinds of places. That's one of the great privileges that we have. And there's so many places in the world where there's so much trouble, it's hard to pick where to be involved. I awakened yesterday morning, as I'm sure many of you did, shocked and grieving the news coming out of Israel, Palestine, Gaza. Goodness gracious. Our church has friends there, and we could reach out to them to comfort to stand with them, to be their friends. We don't take up collections for everything, but we're going to do one this week. Uh, we've done a lot of work in Armenia over many years, and I hope you followed the story. Uh, there's a region there called Nagorno-Karabakh, and the Azerbaijanis have violently just taken it over. It's, it's a place where, where the Armenians live. It's an Armenian place, but they've taken it over, and they said the Armenians have to go. So over 100,000 Armenians are fleeing this country, and going. they've had to leave their home, everything, going. What are they going to do? We're going to take a collection to support this guy. Because we have friends there who are waiting for them, who are embracing them. We love our neighbor. Two more, and I'll be done. This week, I got reacquainted with a guy that I met, uh, I don't know, probably 25 years ago. He was a kid, nine, 10 years old. He had just come to Davidson, where I was the pastor. And uh, his mother had just died down in South Carolina of a drug overdose. So they sent him to live with his grandmother, but she wasn't really equipped to deal with this. And he was one of those kids, just looked hopeless. You know, how, how are we gonna cope with this guy? Our church at this time had formed what they called hope teams, just whoever's having a difficulty in life will walk alongside them. So somebody going through a divorce, somebody going through a cancer diagnosis, whatever. We'd never done anything with a kid before. But this one team said, we will walk with this boy. We will walk with him. And they started doing that, just walking with him through his life. They're still in touch with him after all these years. And the cool thing about Jarmel is he's a pretty good basketball player. So he became a star in high school and then he went to Fayetteville State and played basketball well enough that they asked him to stay on as a coach. And he has stayed on as a coach. But the great news is that recently he was awarded, I get emotional thinking about it. He was awarded his PhD in higher education. Does this always work? No. But isn't it worth trying if it might just work once in a while? The cool thing is they interviewed Jarmel as a kid who went from hopelessness to a PhD. 
They said, uh, tell us about your achievement. And he said, I didn't do it for me. He said, I did it for my community. I did it for my church. <laughs> so beautiful. We're building houses this week at Plato Price Place. It was the Jimmy Carter build. What a wonder. Some beehive of activity. Houses coming up. Garth Brooks, Trisha Yearwood posing for selfies with people. Great fun. As houses are going up, we're building 39 homes, and there are people that we don't know, but we will know them. They are our neighbors. We will love our neighbors. The last thing I stuck this in my sermon last second, it's totally different, but maybe not. I've heard so much lately from people about fractured relationships, disappointing loves, love gone cold. Jesus says, love your neighbor, and I think he supplies some uh, inspiration in that. I think he supplies some power in that. I think he supplies some grace in that. It could turn out that the neighbor you need to love that's hard to love is the person that's in the bed right next to you. That may be the one you need to forgive. Friends, I've... Uh, what a lovely thing. God uh, gave Moses uh, these commandments hidden in them. There's so much love. There's so much grace. God's goodness. God loving us like a parent, not wanting us ever to run astray, to be, to misstep. God's grace is so great, and it all boils down to love God, love your neighbor. Simplest formula in the world. It seems hard until you do it, and then you realize it's so liberating so joyful. It's so life-giving for others, for us, for the world. Such a beautiful thing. Fairest, Lord, Jesus, indeed. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God of abundant love, we praise and adore you as we are gathered here today and all days and celebrate you being with us always, that you never leave us, that you journey with us through the hard times of our lives, that you take us out of our Egypts that we might have, that you have freed us and given us new hope, new joy, and new perspective. Lord, in your mercy patient and enduring, God. We are in constant need of your mercy and grace. Forgive us when we become legalistic to the ways of this world rather than persistent in our approach to seek the welfare and welcome of all people. Forgive us when we love the law of the land more than the law of your heart and love. Cleanse us now of our prejudices, limitations, and constraints that hinder us from seeking the well-being for all of our neighbors. Lord, in your mercy. Loving Spirit, guide us, form us, work within and through us as we strive to love our neighbors well. Shatter the hardened portions of our hearts so that we may truly give thanks and abundantly so through the ways we engage with one another and the ways in which we show up for your work every day. 
and not our own. Remind us through your persistent nudging that we have more than enough and that our lives are to live generously and fruitfully for your kingdom's sake. Lord, in your mercy. Healing God, when we see as you see and hear as you hear, we are more able to come alongside those who are hurting, struggling, and mourning. We collectively grieve this morning for the violence in Israel and Palestine and the Gaza Strip. We mourn the dislocation of people in Armenia and the seeking of starting a new life once again. We grieve the violence here in our own city of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County and all of the communities who suffer. We ache with those who ache from hunger pains and oppressive restraints. We mourn for the ways in which the church has harmed and hindered rather than welcomed and fought for marginalized communities. And especially now, O oh Lord, we pray for those who are hurting from the loss of loved ones. We pray especially for the family of Patrick Reams and Jeffrey Schott as they celebrate and mourn their earthly journey as they have now joined the kingdom triumphant. Lord, in your mercy. God, we offer these prayers and many others that weigh silently upon our hearts in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray as a family, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we come to receive the offering, let me say thank you for what I heard last night at my high school reunion. I was surprised, uh, delighted, of the number of people who live in South Carolina who came up to me, hugged me, and said, we love your church. We watch your services every Sunday. We attend your programs online. It means so much to us. I shouldn't be surprised because every day I hear from somebody somewhere in Mississippi, in Minnesota, in Canada, in Great Britain, all over this world, people tune in. We are their church. Thank you for making that happen. And for those of you who watch online, uh, you too can make this uh, happen, as your generosity also uh, matters so much. So uh, let us receive our tithes and offerings.
generous God, what a joy it is to be able to give unto your work for generational transformation through this church. May we be faithful with these gifts to seek out our neighbors well through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.
come in the grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. Amen.